This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Of course, it's time to shift our attention to headlines out of the United States. Roe versus Wade, that's in focus this week. The Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to decision last week, overturned abortion rights in the country. So how did it come to this? I mean, the world, of course, has reacted. Is there any way abortion rights could perhaps be made legal in the U.S. once again? So we're going to get some analysis on these headlines and more with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Good morning, Nirmal. Let's talk about this one. The Supreme Court, 5-4 to decision overturning Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that established the constitutional right to abortion in the U.S. back in 1973. Would you consider this a dark day in the United States as what a lot of Americans have gone to social media to talk about? Could you give us a summary of the events leading up to this overturn and how did it come to this? Is there anyone to blame here? Good morning. Well, reproductive freedom was one of the key goals of feminism in the 60s and 70s. And then along came Roe versus Wade in 1973. But it has always been a target for religious conservatives, evangelical Christians and so forth. And there has always been this tension in the United States between those forces and progressive forces. Then fast forward to March 2016 and President Barack Obama in his last year nominated Judge Merrick Garland to a vacant seat on the nine bench Supreme Court. And that appointment was blocked by Senate Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who said the next president should be doing the nominating, not an outgoing president. Now, a central agenda of conservatives, again, has been to nominate conservative judges who would tilt the ideological balance on the court. Donald Trump was the blunt instrument that got the Republicans into power, and they had what they wanted, and he nominated not one but three judges to the court, all conservatives. And all along, the big target was Roe versus Wade. So now almost half a century of women's reproductive rights, and you could argue of bodily autonomy, of family autonomy, is suddenly gone. Half a century. It is an earthquake, and it will supercharge an already severely polarized country heading into midterm elections in just five months. There are several parallel Americas, red and blue, conservative and progressive, rich and poor. This will have a huge impact, particularly on the poor and on minorities. And it also impacts the credibility of the Supreme Court, which is now revealed as an ideological, politicized court. So this does a lot of damage to a pillar of American democracy as well. Nirmal, let's talk about some high-profile reactions. Uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, French President Emmanuel Macron have all criticised the ban on abortion in the United States. What happens next, Nirmal? I mean, which states do you think would restrict or protect abortion rights? Is there any way there could be some kind of challenge and, you know, this can be legal again, perhaps? Also, an interesting one, what is the likelihood now that gay rights will be reconsidered. So the decision basically hands back to the states the power to decide. Abortion is now illegal or heavily restricted as a consequence in at least 11 states as of now. 12 others apparently have laws in place that pave the way to quickly ban or severely restrict access to abortions. And I have seen reports saying 26 states will end up either banning abortion or making it very difficult to get one. The only way this can be reversed is, of course, if the Supreme Court hands down another decision and reverses it. And this is unlikely to happen. And if the Democrats get a supermajority in both the House and the Senate, also rather unlikely to happen. None of that is impossible, but highly unlikely. 
Additionally, in the streets, there are going to be more protests and they will be increasingly emotional. Remember, there are people celebrating this as well. Religious conservatives are celebrating. The consequences of this are going to play out for a very long time and could even involve violence. As for other rights, yes, same-sex marriage and even contraception are also in the sights of conservatives. The Supreme Court is politicized and the Republican Party is also not the same party it was a couple of decades ago. Religious conservatism is enjoying a resurgence. A Pew Research survey last year of what they call faith and flag conservatives found that 97% either identify as Republican or lean towards Republican. 59% identified strongly with the Republican Party. So today we are seeing a backlash against progressive values, against wokeism, and same-sex marriage is very much on the hit list. America is not converging within, it is fragmenting. Yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation. Still on the topic of Roe vs. Wade, but I want to shift the focus to the business front, Nirmal. So how has the overturning of this ruling capitulated businesses of all types into the most divisive corner of politics? I mean, dozens of big businesses that the Associated Press has reached out to, you know, things like McDonald's, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, General Motors, they've all not responded. Why is this the case? Why this stance right now? This creates major legal questions for corporations. If an employee, say, needs an abortion, but she lives and works in a state that has banned abortion, will the company pay for her to travel? And what if it does? Will the company cover the cost, perhaps, of abortion pills? Is there legal liability if you, say, pay for someone to go to another state and get an abortion? Or if you get abortion pills shipped to you in a state where abortion is banned? Now, dozens of companies have announced that they will cover the costs of employees who need to travel across state lines for an abortion. But there may be legal questions that are yet to be settled, and many companies are still trying to figure out how to work around the new restrictions. And there is a lot of very high-pitched and emotional rhetoric over this. There is a lot that companies will have to weigh in terms of deciding their policies going forward. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. On the line with me is U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times, Nirmal Ghosh. Nirmal, let's move on to other headlines. So according to a statement by U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, a U.S. Navy P-8A Poseidon reconnaissance has flown over the Taiwan Strait last week. Now, what message is the U.S. trying to send to China in this latest move? Would this move perhaps escalate matters in a bad way instead of making things better? Yes, well, the U.S. maintains that the Taiwan Strait is an international waterway and as such, you can sail or fly through it. The U.S.'s Indo-Pacific Command, Indo-PACOM, in a statement said the United States will continue to fly, sail and operate anywhere international law allows, including within the Taiwan Strait. And it continues saying, by operating within the Taiwan Strait in accordance with international law, the United States upholds the navigational rights and freedoms of all nations. The aircraft's transit demonstrates the United States' commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. So this has to be seen in the context as well of recent noises and statements from China that the Taiwan Strait is not an international waterway but is considered China's internal waters. But the U.S. is not going to cede this point. And the U.S. is not wrong in saying that regardless of whether the Taiwan Strait is considered international waters or an exclusive economic zone, the foreign ships have the right to transit through the waterway. International law does allow them to do so. The same applies to aircraft. 
Whether this escalates matters, you could say it does, but equally you could say that China is escalating things by sending warplanes, as it did recently, into Taiwan's self-declared air defense identification zone. So tensions are mounting, and while none of these countries have done anything to enforce anything, no planes have been shot down, the more this continues, the more the chances of a clash, whether accidental or deliberate. So yes, it is per se not going in a good direction. Okay, Norma, final issue. U.S. President Joe Biden has signed a gun safety legislation into law that he called the most significant of its kind in decades. So this restricts firearms access for the youngest buyers and offering incentives for states to set up red flag laws. Would you consider this a sign of more things to come when it comes to handling the gun violence issue in the country? And Norma, how would this new legislation help with the issue? Yes, this is the first major gun safety legislation passed by Congress in nearly 30 years. It comes on the heels of two particularly awful mass shootings, one at a Texas elementary school that killed 19 children and two adults, and one that targeted black people at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, and that one killed 10 people. So there was some momentum behind this, and as the president said, it doesn't do everything he wants, but it does include measures that will save lives. By the way, one of the measures expands an existing law that prevents people convicted of domestic abuse from owning a gun. And that includes dating partners, not just current or former spouses. It also expands background checks on people between the ages of 18 and 21 who are trying to buy a gun. Now, the National Rifle Association immediately said it opposed the bill, and that will continue. Republicans will continue to say the Democrats want to take away your guns, and that will remain a highly politicized and, frankly, incendiary issue. So gun safety legislation has thus far been sort of edging forward a little bit here and a little bit there. Just the other day, there was a reversal. The Supreme Court struck down a New York law restricting concealed carrying of guns. And by the way, some legal experts are saying that undermines the logic of overturning Roe versus Wade, which is to give the decision on abortion back to the people through state legislators. In the New York case, the court did the opposite. It ruled on a state case. So look, this is a full actual step forward, undoubtedly, but it is unlikely to go any further, at least for the foreseeable future. And speaking with Normal Ghosh, she is your chief for The Straits Times. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.